tonight, our topic is defeating darkness, and we're going to go through First John this semester and learn how living in the light changes the world. So I'm going to start by telling my story and my journey with darkness. Um, well, it starts a little before that. So I grew up in the Catholic Church. Um, I went to church every Sunday. I took communion. I went to confession. I was confirmed. I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. But I didn't know God. But I thought I knew God. But it took me a long time to realize that it's not enough to go to church every Sunday. It's not enough to read your Bible. It's not enough to pray. You have to know God. You have to form a relationship with God. And going through the motions will never get you there. And that took me a very, very long time to understand. Um, so it was about high school when I stopped going to church. My mom stopped going. Why? You know, there's no point anymore. And that's like when I thought I had my life all together. So I was the salutatorian of our high school. I was getting scholarships left and right. Um, I was president of clubs. Um, I really felt like I had it together, but on the inside, I had absolutely nothing at all together at all. Um, so I lived with like a lot of darkness. Um, every aspect of my life was filled with complete and utter darkness, and I hid it and I buried it, and that only made it fester. I went on a downward spiral because I failed to recognize the darkness that was within myself. Now some things were beyond my control. Darkness lives around us. We can't escape that. Um, you know, like things happen to us um, that we can't really control. Um, I suffered from anxiety and depression, and that was a darkness that lived within me. Um, my home life was not always rainbows and butterflies. That's something that lived within me. But one thing was that I aided to my own darkness every day. I hung out with the wrong people. I put myself in situations that I knew I should not put myself in. I put myself in dark situations every day. And because of that, my decisions were dark. It was a life of sin, of darkness. And all the while, I thought I was trying to find happiness. I was finding the light, right? Like, that's what we're all trying to do here is find the light. But it's not in those things. You can't look for light in dark places. And that's what I was doing for a very, very long time. Um, I came to college. Clean slate, right? That's what everybody thinks, right? Clean slate. So for me, it really wasn't. I was the same old person. I mean, my high school is 20 minutes from here. Everybody is here every single day. I see them. Hello. Um, actually, I don't talk to them. Sorry. <laughs> and so, like, my life was kind of like, have you guys ever played with life rights, like, when you're little? And so, you know, like, the black sheet of paper that goes over the light? That's what it was. I blocked it out. And so it took me a really long time. You know, I didn't want to mess up the black paper. Was that just me? Like, as a kid, like, you weren't ready to, like, poke the hole? Like, maybe it was just me. So <laughs> I found other people who were pegs in my life, people who poked holes in my darkness. And all it took was one person to be a light, to put a hole in me, to let all of it come flooding out. And even, like, people leave, people who are passing by, people were lights in my life. So that peg might not be there. It might be removed. But it left a permanent hole in my black paper, a hole which now I can use to flood light out of me and to other people and to other people's darkness. And so sometimes I think we're so busy 
dealing with our own darkness that we don't realize that we can also punch a hole in someone else's darkness. And maybe it's just a quick thing. It's not something that you stay in somebody's life, but that hole, that puncture, is there forever. And so sometimes on dark nights, you can't see anything. It feels like all hope is lost, but it's there. The light is always there. So we all have something that is dark, that's living within us. And for some of us, we have to dig deeper than others, but it's there. And it's hard to bring that to light because we're afraid, maybe we're ashamed, but this is not a battle that you fight on your own. This is a battle we fight in community with one another. It's easier to share with one another, to open up, to be a light, um, because we all make mistakes. Um, we all have regrets, we all sin. Some of us are ashamed, some of us maybe aren't. But at the end of the day, it's not a battle that we fight alone because the most effective form of fight is running toward the light. Really, she just had her preach the whole message. So Riley, you can come on up. We're going to be in 1 John. And uh, when we decided to do this theme of defeating darkness in 1 John, um, in the middle of last semester, I literally, every time I would read my Bible, I would read something about light and something about darkness. Have you guys noticed that recently? If you've been seeing the theme around, you're like, holy smokes, every time I read anything in the Bible, and this is the first verse, I think, do you have Genesis 1-4 up? Uh, Riley's going to read it for us. Check this out. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. From the very beginning, the very first thing that God does, outside of the, the base substance of water, which, you know, we won't get into that tonight. But he says, let there be light. Let there be light. And he separated it. And so let me pray that real quick. God, I pray that you would separate the darkness from the light in our lives. We thank you for Liz and her testimony. Her story is all of our stories. Um, and I pray that we would be honest tonight, and uh, we pray that you would come to us in our time of need. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start by reading. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, if you've got a Bible or a phone or something like that. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to be starting with verse 5, and uh, Riley's going to read verse 5 for us, and we'll talk a little bit about it, and we'll go down through here. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What do you do in life when you are completely surrounded by darkness? Stub your toe, right? That's what you do? When you're completely surrounded by darkness? Uh, most of us, we, this is what we do when dark times come in our lives. We sit down and hope that the darkness soon passes, right? And if we're all honest, that's what we do. Um, and then some of us, you're the kind of person that when you're in a time of darkness, you stand up and you start swinging. And you don't know what you're swinging at. You're just angry. You're mad. You're frustrated. So there's two types of people. Some of us withdraw in times of darkness, and we remove ourselves from everyone else and everything in, in, that is good in life, from church, from reading the Bible, from prayer. And then others of us, we stand up and we're angry. We're not just removing ourselves. 
we are just swinging, and we don't really know what we're swinging at. We use God's name a lot because he's an easy target. Um, but John starts by saying that we have, the first thing we have to do tonight is we have to identify the light. The first thing we have to do is identify the light. And in order to run to the light, we, know, we have to know where to run. You know, it's one thing to just aimlessly run in a dark room. You know, we know what happens in those moments. We hurt ourselves when we aimlessly run in the darkness without any light. So we are here tonight to tell you, all of us, Liz, myself, Riley, um, someone else named Andrew later on, um, we are here tonight to tell you where to run. And, and here it is. This is it. And I'm going to ruin it. God is light. You read it in the very first verse that we went through. God is light. And so sometimes we scan the room. And because of the evil is around us and within us, we don't see any light. You ever noticed if you watch newscasts, uh, you read anything on the internet and it is darkness. And we know it's full of darkness because if there's any light, we freak out and we send the article to somebody or we, you know, we, we can't stop thinking about that positive thing that we saw because it was so full of light. And so what that is, is I want to call that, and look at this awesome masculine, thank you, Alex. I sent him out with one job to do to get a flashlight, and this is what he brings me. <laughs> and that's fine, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to shine it directly at you, but this little guy, even though, girl, even though she is LED, she's not putting off very much light. And if we are in a dark space, you only see a small light. And that is where some of us are. All we see is the pinhole of light. And so you may even think, around, think about your friends like Liz was sharing. I'm not seeing a whole lot of light in my friends. All I'm seeing is darkness. I remember uh, even in high school thinking, I can't hang out with these people when it gets dark outside. And it was just because they would do stupid things. I would end up in jail or kicked out of school or something. And so the rest of our passage is what we're going to do is we're going to explore in this passage how to take a sledgehammer to the pinhole of light. A sledgehammer to the light. Oh, do you want me to smash something, Zach? I mean, I'm just a little bit concerned with you with the sledgehammer, Andrew. Okay. Hey, I lifted weights yesterday. I know you can't tell, but I did. But we're going to take a sledgehammer to that small amount of light that we see. Because I think too often we look around and we see, oh, there's, there's a little bit of light. Oh, that Joe Boone, he's pretty awesome. Or whomever we're thinking of that's full of light. We're like, man, I wish I could be around them more often. But what we don't realize is that we have a sledgehammer in our hands. And so let's read verses 6 and 7. And this is how we start busting at the wall here. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right. There are these people called hype men or hype women. I don't ever heard of a hype woman, maybe a hype man. And uh, that sounds better than a hype woman. I, I've never, maybe it's the hype man's the full of pride. Um, maybe women are less prideful. I don't know. Their goal in life is to convince you of how great they are. You ever met anybody like this? That's their whole goal. And if you don't really catch it the first time, they say it louder and louder until you pay attention. You don't know anybody like this, do you? 
Um, and so they do this all the time. And there's two types of hype men or women. There's the type that's like super insecure, and that's why they're doing that. And uh, they really don't believe very, think very highly of themselves, so they're trying to overcompensate. And then there's people who are really deceived. They really think that they're that awesome. And they will tell you as often as they can about how awesome they are. And I think the same is true about this verse. So many would profess the name of Christian. So many will. Like if we went around campus today and we asked just, are you a Christian? We would get a lot of yeses. Uh, but if we asked some more questions, we would, we would maybe wonder, right? Um, are you a Christian? We would ask that question. Um, and I think <laughs> they are insecure or they're deceived. So what does it mean to live in spiritual darkness? And just to really set this stage, in our first week uh, in our small groups, we talked about this word fellowship, which is the word koinonia, which means participation. So fellowship is not coming and eating pizza together, although that is part of participation. You have you fellowship with one another, but it's so much more. It's about being active within the body of Christ. So the first thing that spiritual darkness means we if we, we if we are in darkness we will immediately cut ourselves off from other christians i do this sometimes if i'm not doing very well i have an accountability partner who's another minister and i avoid him like the plague i don't want him to call me i don't want him to text me uh, if i see him in the supermarket i might run away i mean whatever because i don't want him to ask me that stuff hey andrew how you doing how you pursuing god right now and the answer would be not very not very well I'm being selfish with my life right now. Leave me alone. And this is isolation from our family. Can you imagine all the love, all the security, all the support that you need is right there in a loving family, and you are running away. Hebrews 10.25 says for us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Okay? One of our goals, if we want to take a sledgehammer to that little bitty amount of light in the room, if we want to, you want to pick it up again, Zach? Um, if we want to take a sledgehammer to that wall, that little bit of light, you have got to seek to be with God's people. And you're like, I don't like God's people. They're mean. Yeah, sometimes the sheep bite. But the whole point of being a Christian is so that we can live in this community together. Even though we're imperfect, even though we make mistakes, we are a family. And I think that's a song. Um, okay. The second thing, the blood of Jesus isn't allowed near our sin. That's how we know that we're in darkness. If we will avoid Jesus in his blood, and you're like, if you don't know anything about Jesus' blood, uh, Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins, and so when Riley read that, we will avoid Jesus. Um, Jesus doesn't just let us off the hook. We are set free in order to go in a different direction. Acts 3.19 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, Repent, therefore, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of, of the Lord, so that your sins may be washed away. Once You're not just let off the hook to just go do whatever you want. God saves you for, some, for something, not just from something. And so both of these are forms of our protection, God's people and the blood of Jesus. And we initially re resist light. John 3.20 says we resist light. We don't like it. I, you ever had someone say, I don't like being around. I feel guilty being around you. You know? That is in the Bible. They don't like the light, it says in John 3.20, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
I know I talked about premarital counseling the last time, but listen to this. When you are married, if you have a phone that your spouse cannot get into or a computer that they're not allowed to access, you are living in darkness. I'm just telling you right now. Any one of you, I give you my passcode. You can look through my phone. If you, I don't know if you want to, but read whatever text you want to read. Maybe not the ones for my wife, but whatever. But that's what people do. We don't like we don't like to be exposed in the light because of our darkness. And so we have to be around God's people. You need to be in church on Sundays. We're distressed that a lot. You need to interact and let the blood of Jesus wash over you. And that's kind of where we're coming with next. Verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our culture has a real problem with weakness, and I think it stems um, from a hatred from wanting to come clean. You know, we see this all the time. People will not admit to doing something unless there is outstanding proof that they did it. You notice that? And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. But until there's like outstanding proof, they will do whatever it takes to deny the fact that they actually did that thing that was wrong. And it's just, it's crazy. It is absolute insanity. And so what God asked us to do is the first thing he asked us to do, he said, you, you have to admit that you're not good enough. And that just hurts me to say that, you know, because I would like to think that I am good enough. Wouldn't you? I mean, people say that to you all the time. You're amazing. You're a wonderful person. And then deep down, we're like, ah. Yeah, I am, you know, but I think one of the things we have to do to get a proper view of ourselves is to admit that we aren't good enough. You're not good enough to pass all these classes that you have this semester. You're just not. You're not good enough to resist temptation. You're not good enough uh, to date the person of your dreams. You're just not good enough. And you're like, thanks, right? I think this is when your beliefs and your intentions shift I really can't just keep trying harder and expect my life to be transformed. I am not that good. If you're reading the one-year Bible, Psalm 14, there is no one who does good. All have walked away. You're not that good. You're pretty great, but you're not that good, right? And I think the second thing is really, really hard. You have to admit it to yourself, and the Bible says that you actually have to say it out loud. Oh, great. That's what we're going to do at the end. We're just going to pass the mic and talk about <laughs> sins. I'm going to talk about, I was, I'm pretty much a monk, so I just want to tell you that right off the bat. I'm going to tell you later. But it is one thing to say something to yourself, and it's quite another to say it out loud to God or to someone else. Confession puts flesh and bone on your intentions. If I say this out loud, it is known and it is permanent. And you're, some of you are like, I wonder why I'm not getting freedom from darkness in my life. It could be because you haven't said it out loud. You're internalizing it. And you could pray to yourself all day long or to even to God sometimes, but until you're willing to say it out loud, uh, it's really hard to move past something. And the Greek word, I'll just go a little bit further. The Greek word for confession here, it literally means the same thing. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't really, but let me explain it to you. Confession means the same thing. It means that you literally come on the same page as God. You say, God, I'm not good enough. 
I know you love me anyway. I know your grace is enough for me, but I am not good enough. So I need you to forgive me. I'm coming on to the same page as you. You see, we might be able to fool everyone else for a time, but God has always known all of our darkness, and he knows he's the only one who can drive it out. To confess is to come in line in the same vein as God. That's what confession is. Are you in line with God tonight? Have you said that out loud? I'm, I'm kind of, I don't like to say th- things out loud at all. You know, I've been joking with the campus house guys that my love language is not words of affirmation. Want to make me feel really uncomfortable, give me a compliment. I hate it. Um, because I just hate word. I don't like, it just makes me uncomfortable. So when I say something out loud and I say, God, in my car or on my knees by my bed or wherever I'm at, God, I am not good enough. That really rings throughout the room and I really start to believe it that only he can make me good enough and so two things happen when we actually say it out loud he's talking to Christians he's talking to Christians in this book first thing that happens is that God forgives us of our sins and we're going to go quick through this because we got a lot to cover he's going to forgive the word for forgive means to leave or to let loose God lets you loose I like that he lets us loose, and sins, the Greek word is hamartia, and it means, it's a shooting word, and it means to shoot, and to shoot, and to shoot, and to shoot, and to miss, and to miss, and to miss, and to miss, and to miss. And it's the plural word, our sins, because all of us have more than one. Two, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins, and the second thing is to purify us from all unrighteousness. Purify, cathar. Idzo, it means to purify or to clear. And the second one, uh, our unrighteousness, is injustice or crimes. You see, when God, when we decide to come in line and start wanting what God wants, that's really what being a Christian is about. I no longer want what I want. I want what God wants. I think that's why Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he died on the cross. Not my will, but yours. But when we do that, When we say it out loud, it not only lifts us off, uh, lets us off the hook for our sin, he drives it away. It's one thing to let someone out of a speeding ticket. It's another thing to, you know, fix their whole car, right? And God says, I'm not just going to let you off this time and give you a warning. I am going to put a better exhaust system on your car. I am going to put a better engine in your car. I'm going to give you a new car. That's what God does. That's what God's grace does. He forgives us, and he, and he actually purifies us. And so check out this last verse. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his words is not in us. Even though God is the light and desires that we walk in the light, here's the thing. We can make the decision to stay in the darkness. We can see the little bitty, you know, light, you know. And uh, even if we, like, hit it a little bit and we went a little bit bigger, and then we, we can come into the full. I shot Troy in the eye with this earlier. But, you know, let's see if someone's out here. Uh, anyway. 
We can go to the full-blown light flooding in. We don't see any darkness at all. Everything is laid bare, which makes all of us feel very uncomfortable. And so here's what happened. I'm doing this message on confession, and I'm, I'm literally tabling in the campus center on Friday, and I'm not really talking to anybody. I, you know, some of you brought me food, which is very nice. Um, and lemonade. It was great. So as I'm literally writing this down about confession, this lady comes up, and she goes, what are you? I said, I'm Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) I was very uncomfortable all of a sudden, and she's very, like, aggressive and, like, talking to me, and I said, well, we're a student organization on campus, and we're a Christian organization as well. And uh, as soon as I said Christian, she said, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm living like hell. And then I'm like, okay. (laughs) And she's a non-traditional student uh, uh, getting her master's here at IUPUI. And then proceeds to tell me exactly how she's living like hell. And then says, I got to go upstairs and talk to the registrar. And she goes goes up the escalator. And I'm like, wow, that was crazy. I don't think she's going to come back. No, she does. And as I'm talking to Liz and Marissa about this experience, because I knew no one would believe me, she comes back down while they're standing there and proceeds to go on and tells us about how God had freed her from drug addiction, but now she was just running the opposite way. She was not willing to come on the same page. She said, Andrew, she's talking about my name like we're friends, you know. Andrew, I know, I know the way that I should go, but I'm not going to church See, she cut, she's cutting herself off from Christians. I know that God can forgive my sins. There's the blood of Jesus. I mean, she's telling me the whole passage. I, I know I'm not good enough. She's literally saying it out loud on the campus center right there as people are walking in. I'm like, what is going on? And I had prayed. I told Riley. I saw Riley, actually, well, before I came down to set up the table. I said, I really feel like God's going to give me a divine appointment. Maybe you're it today. And so we talked for a little bit. It was great. And then I, we got down and set up. And then I was like, oh, here's the second appointment. <laughs> and are you willing to take the sledgehammer to that little bit of light that you see tonight and let God bust it all open? Um, I'm going to invite um, the better of the Andrews up front right now. He's going to share some a few things as well. Hello, everyone. Like you said, my name is Andrew also. Uh, for those that don't know me or have forgotten my name again. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go off and talk about some of the like application points, I guess, and uh, how we can apply these things to our life. And so the first thing that really ties into everything else is accountability with someone else. Like Andrew had said he has someone that keeps him accountable, and for the most part, I do too. And I think like that light, once we have a little bit, it's going to spread throughout. That's kind of, that's how I view uh, accountability. So one thing that this brought up to me is like we're all trying to live like as Christians, and most of us, especially me, I'm very antisocial. I find that it's like I want to just do this by myself. I want to stay and keep everything inside, and it brings to my attention. It's like why do I have to do this by myself? Why can't I get help from other people? Why can't I talk and have – them be able to help me and give me advice. Um, 
we need someone in our life that's really going to keep us accountable and push us to do what the Bible calls us to do. Uh, so going on off of this, Andrew talked about confessing sins uh, to God, and then this also goes on to confess sins to other people. Because uh, saying it out loud really forces us to think about it. It's like, okay, it's really hard to tell someone you're sinning, and you're like, when it's yourself and you're, you yourself are letting yourself do that, it's you you kind of make it okay, but when you have to say it to someone else, it's a lot harder. And so, personal story, for me, it's a guy named Mike. Now he's much older than me, he's like 40. But we go biking together, and when we're biking long distances, we kind of talk, and since he's much older than me, he can give me advice. He, when he was younger, really messed up, made some bad decisions. And for him, he's able to help me with whatever I'm going through, give me advice and things that I wouldn't even think of because, well, he's been through quite a bit more. And then I can return that and give him advice. And whatever he's struggling with, I can give him a different point of view because, well, I'm much younger than him. And so I really think that like having someone that's accountable, that you can keep accountable, and also you trust to confess your sins to. See, Mike is also extremely antisocial, so I trust that he won't say anything that I tell him to other people, which makes it nice because I know whatever I say, no one else will ever hear. <laughs> and so have someone that you trust because you're making yourself vulnerable and you're letting it out of yourself, telling that other person, so you need to be able to trust them. Uh, so something else people need to keep you accountable for is reading your Bible, but not just reading it, not just checking a box like I find myself doing quite a bit, just saying, oh, I read my Bible today, gonna make it through it in one year. Make it something that's a priority. See, I wake up, it's like, oh, I can check YouTube, see who uploaded, I can then go to Facebook or Instagram, Snapchat, then Netflix, and then I'll get to reading my Bible. And it's just pushing God off because, well, I find other things. It's, I want to watch YouTube in the morning. <laughs> and really having someone that keeps you accountable and makes it so that you're not just checking a box, but someone that you can talk to it about, someone that can really help you work through this. And so it's not just words on a page. It's something you can talk about and learn about. makes it so much better, and you can learn so much more. And so fourth and finally, prayer. That's something I've struggled with because saying things out loud and talking to God, it just feels weird. See, we always go to other people. I find myself and other people going, oh, I'm going to go talk to a friend. or I'm going to talk to a counselor or a pastor or someone like Andrew. And we just completely miss the point that God's there all the time with the best advice, the perfect point of view for there, there for us. And so being able to go to him, talk to him whenever we need to is something that's amazing because we're doing this for him. Why would we not want to talk to him? See, like Liz and Andrew both said, the most effective way of the most effective form of fight is running to the light. So thank you. You catch that? What we're getting at the most effective form of fight is to run to the light. Okay. And um, I hope you can just keep on remembering that. So I recently went to a, uh, the All Staff, Impact All Staff Conference. You didn't know Impact is a national organization. So they had their All Staff Conference in Phoenix, Arizona during January. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm all about that. And so I'm on this airplane. I'm flying to Phoenix, and I felt like God was wanting me to talk to the person next to me. You ever feel like that on a plane? Like, I'm going to be next to this person for three hours. So I did what anybody does. I'm getting a piece of gum. And I say, would you like a piece of gum? And he goes, no. <laughs> and I said, okay. 
And that's all we said the entire flight. It was the most awkward experience of all time. And so when we, our speaker talked a lot about divine appointments, the reason I'm saying this is because you are the light of the world, okay? You are the light that God is going to release on this dark world, okay? And so then on the way home, I was really more, I was a lot more sensitive to it. And um, so I'm sitting, I have a window seat, and like Andrew, I don't really enjoy awkward sequences, so there's someone sitting right there, and she's about my age, and she looks like she's from the Middle East, and so I, I like, try to, I'm trying to step over her, and I'm like, sorry, you know, and I sit down, and then I'm like, oh, great, now I gotta say something. So is Indianapolis your final destination? And she goes, yeah, it actually is. And uh, so she t- tells me about this job interview she has at the, India- the convention center right here. Can't see it because there's buildings in the way, but <laughs> right here in Indianapolis. And I, she's like, I am so nervous. And I said, wow, well, people in Indianapolis are awesome. You're going to love them, most of them. And uh, so we go on and talk about it. And she goes, what do you do? And I said, Bingo. I can actually talk about this. So I talk about you guys and what God was doing at IUPUI and how God was moving and working. And I was giving it, you know, telling her all about things that I learned at the conference. I'm pulling out my notes. I'm showing her about, you know, everything that was happening. And she's like, wow, that's so cool. And um, I got to tell you this, too. We're at the conference, we talked about the spiritual root system, about how uh, the, everything everybody sees is your public life, but it's driven by your private life. So if you seek God and have a passion for God, it will in turn make you healthy in public. I'm telling her this. She goes, that is so weird. She shows me her necklace. It is a tree with roots coming down off of it. And I'm thinking, this is weird. This is getting real weird. And then so we keep, we keep talking. We keep talking. And she said, I'm so glad that I sat next to you because I was so nervous about this job interview and I just feel like something's been lifted off of me. A little bit about her story. She grew up in Iraq. And um, in 2003, in a war in Iraq, her parents were killed. So she fled the country, uh, went to a, you know, even crazier, I don't know if it's crazier, she went to China and... uh, and so from China, she ended up in Canada. From Canada, she ended up in San Diego and uh, got her bachelor's and master's. And uh, she's like, I have just been needing to come back to Jesus. She's a Christian in Iraq. I said, how many Christians are there in Iraq? Not many. I was a minority. And uh, she sent me an email, and in it, um, Anyway, I, I can't get into all of it. You notice what happened there? A little bit of light. Would you like a piece of gum? No light. No light there. <laughs> Isn't Indianapolis your final destination? A little bit of light. And God was like, all right, I'm going to take that sledgehammer out of your hands, and I'm going to bust the wall through. And, Andrew, I'm going to show you exactly what it means to live in the light as I am in the light, this isn't about you feeling awkward. This is about my glory. And many of you would say tonight, as we come to a close, Andrew, not me. Uh, no. Uh-uh. I see the little bit of light. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Light. And then you walk on. 
And so the last passage, I want to I forgot to put it in the slides, um, but it's Isaiah chapter, chapter 6. And let's go ahead and read the, these first few verses of Isaiah 6. And I just want you to kind of envision um, yourself in this passage of, that you're Isaiah. And then we'll close. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the Sephirim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with the tongs. Oh, it just went back. Okay. <laughs> he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your inequity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Mm. Okay, so a seraphim is an angel, if you didn't catch that. And the word seraph means fire. So we're, I'm, looking, I'm thinking about an angel on fire with a burning coal uh, in an uh, instrument that's coming toward a burning coal toward my lips. And you know what Isaiah is like? I live among a people with ugly lips. And, you know, he's going on and on. He's confessing it. his sin, his mama's sin, his mama's mama's sin, you know, whatever he can do. And it's coming toward him, and he's fearful. And this is what we feel like God is like. He's going to consume me. I can't come into the light. I'm going to get burned. It's going to burn me. You know, and it keeps getting closer and closer. And then, what happens? What happened at the end? Read it again, Riley. Instead of being consumed, this is what happened. Behold, this has touched your lips, and your inequity is taken away, and your sins is forgiven. Come on now. Is that not what we just studied in 1 John? Don't be afraid to come into the light. If something's been holding you back, whether you're blaming people in the church or blaming God or blaming yourself or whatever the case is, would you please come into the light tonight? It's a great time in the semester to do things right. And not just your class. You want to pass your classes. We pray. We pray over your classes. Every life group, if you're in a life group, we pray over those. I mean, the name of Jesus passed thermodynamics, you know, or whatever it is. And uh, we'll lay hands on it. Um, so, but I pray that you would run to the light tonight. And we're, it's 830, and we, we've committed to close out. So I'm going to pray over all of us tonight. And I pray that this would be your heart's cry as you move forward this semester. Our next night of worship is February 12th. Please come back. We got, God's got even more for us. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for his blood. I thank you, God, that you're not just here to let us off the hook. You're here to make us new. You're here to allow us the opportunity of shining light in the darkness. What a privilege. Sometimes it starts with a little conversation, a little conversation, and you're going to do great things with that conversation. If we'll just step out in faith, God, I pray that we would pick up the sledgehammer tonight 
that we would just knock holes in the wall. God, if we're so discouraged, would you pick that up for us? Would you take the first swing and let light flood in? Wherever we're at tonight, I pray that we wouldn't run from the body of Christ. I pray that we wouldn't run from the blood of Jesus. I pray that we would run to the cross. We would drink deep of your salvation tonight. Um, God, we thank you for your son. And it's in his name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.